Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, and before we reflect on this passage, uh, let's ask God's help for doing so. Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth of your Word. We thank you that we can confess that what we have in front of us is so much more than words flashed on a screen or ink on paper, but that it is your living, active, and true, infallible word to us. And so, Lord, we open it with deep expectation that you, in your mercy, will speak through it, that you will speak into our lives, that you will convict us of its truth, and that you will also enable us, Lord, to see the ways and the means and the places where we should be obedient to your word, uh, coming from this passage specifically. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray for listening ears and obedient hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be really good uh, if you could keep your Bible open in front of you. We will refer to... Um, the passage again and again as I, I go through, and we'll be looking at the uh, entire chapter as much as possible. Um, so in a sense, my introduction has been stolen by the kids' talk, but you know, I'll just, uh, <laughs> just repeat it. Um, as, a, as a kid, I um, used to really love drawing treasure maps, and um, to make them even more authentic, I used to stain them with tea. Uh, sorry, parents, if uh, your kids just got an idea, but uh, it can make paper look really, really old and authentic. Um, so, you know the kind of thing, you know, drawn from, uh, I guess, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, you know, like an island and um, all sorts of natural features. And then somewhere on the map, a great big dirty X. And we all know what the X means. Um, I'm not going to channel my inner pirate here, but you know, it's something along the lines of, here be treasure. Um, you know, and, and that's, of course, where um, everything leads to on a, a treasure map. Now, part of it can simply be greed. You know, uh, treasure, the kind of treasure that this denotes, uh, of course, often deals with a, a great deal of money and gold. And, um, you know, that's what people very often aspire to. Uh, I once heard someone quip, um, all I want in life is the chance to prove that money does not bring happiness. Um, <laughs> you know, people do think that, you know, there's, there's something great uh, about gaining a great deal of happiness. But I honestly think there's something uh, more profound when it comes to thinking about treasure. Not so much the, the money side of things, although that might be nice for some, but the fact that it has the potential to profoundly change our lives. Um, just think about the daydreams that you and I may have had, you know, about what we would do if, if our financial circumstances just change beyond all uh, hope. You probably have your own little list uh, as to, you know, what you do and where you'd go. And it's really interesting that the Bible latches on to this aspect of treasure. Not, of course, the, the greed part, but the fact that 
treasure is, is valuable in the sense that it can bring profound change. That pre and post treasure, our lives will not be the same. And it's therefore quite interesting that Jesus' earthly ministry is bracketed by two statements comparing him and his coming into earth with treasure. The first is right at the beginning of his earthly life, and maybe you've even enacted this in a uh, a nativity play. We, We see the wise men, the magi, coming to Jesus, Matthew 2.11. These were some of the most valuable things that people in the ancient world could conceive of, and they are brought to the little baby in the cradle. There's a message there, of course, and I'll latch on to that in a moment. And then just before his crucifixion, uh, just before of his earthly ministry, we see a woman coming in and anointing his head with a very precious perfume. Matthew, in his gospel, makes the point of telling us that this could have been sold for a great deal of money, Matthew 26, 9. And so again, right here at the beginning and at the almost close to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, we get these physical reminders, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and perfume, to serve as a reminder of the great spiritual truth, that the person and message of Jesus is deeply precious, and that changing him or meeting So Jesus, his message, is precious. Just hold on to that for a moment. And let's now turn from this rather exalted theme to the the more messy and mundane reality of church life, specifically Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. Time does not permit me to analyze all of the ins and outs of the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians But suffice it to say that it was not without difficulties, and that is putting it mildly. The Corinthians were certainly not in line to win any Church of the Year awards. Paul constantly had to deal with relational difficulties, moral lapses, and mixed-up doctrines. And to top it it all off, there were at least some people in the congregation who did not fully accept his authority, and therefore, by extension, his teaching. It seems Paul visited uh, the congregation after writing his first letter uh, to them, 1 Corinthians, and that he then had to write another letter, which he says caused him many tears and a troubled heart. We read of this in 2 Corinthians 2.4. This letter has been lost, uh, but it seems that it it must have been a, a really harsh letter to a certain extent, you know, speaking some home truths, one might say, uh, to the the Corinthians, and Paul must have been quite... And great was his relief, therefore, when word came back that the reception was mostly positive, um, and so he writes another letter, the the third letter, which rather confusingly is 2 Corinthians, the one that we have in front of us, to express his relief and gratitude uh, about this. And in doing so, he spends a lot of time to just reflect as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he reflects on the nature of the gospel, on the nature of ministry. And it is 
to the middle of this section of 2 Corinthians that we turned this morning, because right in the middle is chapter 4, where Paul thinks about the truth of the gospel, what it means to actually... So at the heart of this chapter, we find really several bedrock convictions that, that comes back to just the utter centrality and truth of the message that Paul shared with the, the Corinthians. And I'm just going to share four uh, with you. The first one we've already uh, alluded to. And this is the fact that this gospel message is incredibly precious. I live in Geelong, um, just up the road, an hour and 24 minutes away, uh, to be exact. That was how long this morning's drive took. Um, and um, in Geelong, there is a, a bit of a memory uh, reflected in our local museum as well about how the discovery of gold in Victoria in the 1850s uh, almost killed the city or the town as it was then. Um, when gold was discovered in uh, the places that we now know as Ballarat and Bendigo and, and points further north, um, just about everybody in the fledgling state of Victoria, including in the, the city of Geelong, left to go and try their luck on the diggings, as it was called. And that went for policemen, for teachers, for judges, for farmers, for just about everybody. Uh, and it drained not only Geelong but Melbourne as well, uh, of people. And there was a real fear uh, about whether these communities would actually survive. Now, of course, they did. Um, but we can point to many, many instances in, in history where this kind of thing happened. Uh, we even have a word for it, gold fever. You know, that kind of irrational desire to go and make your fortune. To leave everything to go prospecting. We may think of this as an entirely worldly attitude, thinking, you know, how stupid can people be uh, you know, to do this kind of thing? But in a gospel sense, Jesus tells us this is an entirely rational attitude. And when it comes to the gospel, this is, in fact, exactly what you should do. Listen to the following brief parables from Matthew 13, verses 44 and following, where Jesus again, compares the kingdom of heaven to treasure. Chapter 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything uh, he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So this is not gold fever. We might call it gospel fever or kingdom fever. And Jesus says, when it comes to the truths of the kingdom, that's what you need to do. Leave everything behind for its sake. And this is precisely one of the themes that Paul develops throughout this chapter. Let's listen again to his description of God's work in our lives that we find in verse 6. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Paul here is saying, God brought the light of the gospel, the greatest truth that we can ever know, in his mercy. He brought it into our lives and into our hearts. And then the very next statement, the first few words of verse 7, is this. And we have this treasure. I'm not going to read any further at the moment. Let's just latch on to that concept. We have this treasure. So once again, Paul is saying... uh, alongside the people who brought the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the women who anointed uh, Jesus' head with perfume, Jesus' own statement comparing the gospel with treasure. Paul is kind of joining that chorus and saying, yes, indeed, this is a precious, precious message. So we've come right back to treasure. The gospel is a treasure of infinite worth. Stop to think about this for a moment. If you are a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have believed the gospel, you partake in the greatest treasure of all time. For Paul, this meant that he, a rebel, a despiser of God's people, a blasphemer, was turned around, that a rebel has been reconciled. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may have your own story along the same lines of how this treasure was brought into your life. Based on the finished work of Jesus, we are rescued from sin, from death, from eternal damnation. What can be in the greatest treasure ever? But there's a danger. Actually, there are two dangers. And and let me just try and uh, illustrate them through different kinds of treasure. In around 2015, a family in London had a visit to their family bulletin board. It consisted of a smallish picture of an Arab man in an absolutely humongous frame, later found to be from the island of Zanzibar. And they used the frame to just tack up all their notices. So they didn't do the fridge magnet thing, but, you know, Johnny has hockey, Susie needs to go to the dentist, those kinds of things. So the whole thing was just kind of covered in little pieces of paper. And their visitor was an art historian. And he didn't look at the frame, but at the picture of the Arab man in the middle. Long story short, it was found to be by South African artist Irma Sterren. Um, it has an interesting backstory. It was actually sold legal defense, Um, so not only from artistic, but also from an historical perspective. It uh, was quite valuable, and later sold for several million dollars. In fact, the um, highest price ever achieved for a South African painting. Um, So this family, um, their bulletin board was several times more valuable than their their house, which in London is, of course, saying something. Um, So that's perhaps the the first uh, danger that we are faced with when we think of the gospel as treasure. And it's a particularly pertinent danger for those of us who have been following the Lord Jesus for a long time. We can get used to it, used to it to such an extent that um, we don't really recognize what it is anymore. But Even more importantly, for those who are not believers, 
You may be here this morning and you've been invited to church or you've perhaps just started out thinking about the claims of Jesus and of the Christian life. Um, For you, it may have been like this painting, always been in the background. You know, you maybe own a Bible, uh, you've heard people referring to Jesus, uh, but you haven't really given it serious attention. It's it's just there. Um, Let me just say... The Bible tells us it is much more than something in the background. It is the word of life. It speaks and it teaches of how when we cannot achieve reconciliation of God, Jesus himself did that uh, through the cross. So if the gospel is just somewhere in the background for you, if Jesus is someone who to do that seriously and urge you, to investigate, and you will find that this is a treasure, a great, great treasure. For my second illustration, I I kind of want to riff on a bit more about the the getting used to part, because that's the danger uh, for those of us who... Quite a few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, and its showcase exhibition is all of the grave goods taken from the tomb of Tutankhamun in the 1930s. Um, So just one of the greatest treasures ever found, bar none. And at the heart of the exhibition is the the final death mask of the pharaoh. Um, The pharaoh was kind of buried like Russian babushka dolls, you know, you kind of uh, several coffins. And then when you came to the the, the lowest layer or the, the inner layer, he had this solid gold death mask. Um, you can probably conjure it up in your mind now. It, it weighs uh, 11 kilograms, so 11 kilo features. And it stands in the middle of a room on a, a platform in the middle of a glass case with all the lights in the room trained on it. You know, so that's what you see when you uh, come in. And I was there for quite a while. And I, after a while, kind of took my face away from the, the object to the door. And it was fascinating seeing people coming into the room. And almost invariably, the reaction was, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know people were just very, very aware that they, they are in the presence of, of a great, a very, very great treasure. But then my, I called the cleaning lady, who's probably been in this room for more than a decade every day. I don't know, but, you know, probably. Um, and she had one of these old-fashioned ostrich feather dusters, you know, so she was going around cleaning the, um, the exhibit. And I looked at her face, and obviously it wasn't one of astonishment, it wasn't one of, wow, I'm in the presence of, you know, one of the greatest treasures ever found. It was just boredom. It's, I need to get through this job. I need to, you know, just uh, do what I need to do here. And at that moment, that really convicted me, because, you know, being a Christian, I kind of had the, the connection, treasure, gospel, in my mind, and thought about, you know, my own reaction to the gospel. Uh, and isn't it the case that we can be like that cleaning lady sometimes? We're not really astounded by the gospel anymore. It's just, a, to, to a certain extent, part of our mental furniture, moved to the background, um, as it were. And ultimately, that's not good. 
because remembering that the gospel is this great treasure will help us in our spiritual lives. It will help us, as we value it, uh, to also hang on in that spiritual life and to be obedient to, to God's commands. So again, may I encourage you, if you're not a believer here, to understand that the gospel is much more than a bit of background information. Find truth and treasure in that. And if you're a believer, think through what the implications are of this message and never get used to it. Um, May God help us to remember where we came from, what he saved us from in order to keep valuing this treasure. The second core truth is uh, profoundly countercultural in uh, the 21st century. Uh, we live in a society that tells us that if you dream it, you can do it, that it's all down to us and to our efforts. My second sermon point may therefore seem like a bit of a downer, because it, it is, you are not as strong as you think you are. <laughs> you are not as strong as you think you are. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this to, to dampen the mood or, or whatever. I'm just sharing a profound biblical truth. For Paul, this fact is crucial to understand the Christian life. For some of his opponents, the fact that Paul had to endure struggle after struggle was evidence that he wasn't a true apostle. Paul, however, was adamant that such people simply misunderstood the Christian life. Accepting the gospel does not turn us into superheroes who can effortlessly turn the world upside down through our own efforts. The power is not with us. Let's continue reading from verse 7. We began uh, this verse. We have this treasure. And then in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, pottery is probably pretty special today. Um, there are potteries and pottery studios that you can visit uh, where buying... This is not what Paul is referring to here. Pottery was very much an everyday object back then. In fact, archaeologists, when they want to determine where the garbage dump in an ancient city is, they look for a layer that contains a lot of pottery shards because pottery was often just broken and thrown away. The gospel is held in an object of everyday use. So if I may be so bold as to you know, uh, try a dynamic equivalent translation, we might say, we have this treasure in a McDonald's paper cup. That's kind of the, the idea that Paul is trying to convey here. We are treasure. Um, we did not come through this or to this position through our own wits, through our own strength, through our own, own understanding. It's all God. And it's all God's power in the gospel. We need to understand ourselves properly. We are weak and in need of grace. The power comes from God. And having this understanding will keep us from pride and overconfidence. Having this understanding, again, if you're not a believer here this morning, will help you to understand that coming to God it's not about you and your efforts and kind of pulling yourself by the hair uh, to try and in grace to weak and sinful people. 
And if you're a believer following the Lord Jesus, it reminds us that throughout all of our lives, all of our Christian lives as well, the fact that we are believers is not something that we can draw great pride from, but that it should really motivate us to humility. It's God's grace that we are where we are. And therefore, we can extend and should extend this grace to other people. So the gospel is precious. We are not as strong as we think we are. It's really all down to God's power in the gospel. Third point, holding on to this treasure can help us to persevere despite circumstances. I once saw a cartoon about a missing, missing dog. It showed a, uh, you know, just the face of a dog that looked very much the worse for wear. And below it, uh, the following words. Lost three-legged fox terrier has only one eye, half of his left ear is missing, answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> so I'm sure this would have raised a very wry smile with Paul. He was able to look at his circumstances, and his circumstances really was much worse than that of Lucky. And in his case, he doesn't call himself lucky, of course. He uses some of what Paul says about his life. Verse 16, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light trouble is producing for us an incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, is eternal I want to latch on specifically to the phrase light and momentary afflictions, um, which we read in verse 17. Uh, this is perhaps one of the most understated phrases in all of Paul's writings, because in verse 8 to 10, he spoke about the persecuted, struck down, given over to death. Uh, Paul I often say that the final point of Paul's sermon was often a riot. Um, he was driven out of many towns, uh, given over for death at many opportunities. And yet Paul is able to brush these things aside because he's able to see the bigger picture. Part of this bigger picture is to remember that his future is in God's hand. That the one who, hands, the, the one who gave him this great treasure will also give him Eternity. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is... He's inner Australian here. He's not making a kind of, she'll be all right, mate, statement. What he's saying is that the future hope that he has is not based on some kind of wishful thinking or on his own efforts again, but on the confident hope of the resurrection. And that is an integral part of the treasure as well. Verse 14, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. So the hope is once again not placed on the weak vessel, on the clay jar, but on the one who can sustain us and even use us in the midst of the most challenging circumstances. There's a vision of the Christian life that claims that it will always go well with us. 
here on earth at least, that our faith is bound to result in health, wealth, and happiness, that we will effortlessly glide from victory to victory. This passage, of course, strongly challenges this view. It reminds us that suffering will come, but that it is not all that there is. That taking the longest of long views, in other words, into eternity, can help us to hang in there, to know that this treasure is not only for this life, but also for the life to come. And then finally, and this is perhaps where the treasure analogy breaks down a little bit. Uh, this treasure is not diminished by sharing. Uh, when we have any kind of earthly treasure, it, it's finite. You know, um, even Elon Musk will probably come to a point where, you know, if he keeps giving away money, not that he's, he's doing it, but if he does, um, uh, it, it will eventually run out. But Paul makes the point that this is not the kind of treasure that he's talking about. Namely, this treasure is not reduced by sharing it out. In fact, Paul speaks of the fact that the Corinthians are not to keep this treasure to themselves. He also states that his service to God, his service that often goes along with suffering and with difficulties, contributes to this goal. Verse 15 Indeed, everything, so the everything that he refers back to here includes the, the suffering that he described. Everything is for your benefit, that as grace extends to more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Note the two objectives that Paul spells out here, that grace should be extended to more and more people. In other words, to simply state it, that more and more people will be believers, and that together they will uh, work for the glory of God. And that's going to be Paul's next major theme, and we don't have time for it this morning, but um, you may want to read chapter 5 as well, where Paul speaks about how we now take this treasure uh, through what he calls the ministry of reconciliation to the rest of the world around us. So bottom line, this is not a treasure to hang on to, to hoard for ourselves, but to freely share with a world that desperately needs it. Let me conclude and, and bring it full circle. At the beginning, we spoke of how treasure can profoundly change our lives and the fact that the gospel is therefore very often compared to treasure. And in this particular passage, we saw how Paul reminded his readers that the gospel is very precious through that memorable image of treasures hidden in jars of clay. And of course, at the heart of this message is the fact that Christ came into this world, died for us, and was... What do we do with this treasure? What are we to do with the fact that we have been entrusted with the greatest gift ever? So again, according to this passage, just to summarize, we are to, and this may seem like a redundant phrase, we are to treasure treasure <laughs> when we really value it by making it ours, it's freely offered to us, and by not becoming 
simply used to it, but to live our lives from the basis of having this treasure. Secondly, we must not grow proud or boastful because of it. It is not down to our but jars of clay. And therefore, our thankfulness should be to God who has given us this great treasure. Thirdly, the fact that we have this treasure should help us to persevere. It will probably not be the case that we will have to go through some of the same things that Paul went through. But even so, may we also be able to call our afflictions light and momentary because we know that this is not all that there is. And then lastly, unlike earthly treasure, this is a treasure to freely share. May God's grace extend through the fact that we do not hoard this, but that we share it. May God help us to do this with the treasure that he's entrusted to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, for its truth, for its power. And we thank you for the reminder from 2 Corinthians 4 and from other parts of your word that the gospel is a treasure of infinite worth. Lord, I want to pray that if there are people here this morning who have not made this treasure their own, that they will come to the place of bowing the knee before you, Lord Jesus, and accepting the fact that you are their king and their savior through what you've achieved through the cross and the empty grave. For those of us who have followed you perhaps for many years, we pray, Lord, that you will help us to truly value this treasure, that you will help us not to be proud and boastful as if it's all down to us and our efforts, that you will help us, Lord, to persevere because we have this treasure, even in the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to share this message with people all around us, knowing that they can also share in the life-giving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Lord, you came from our city.